This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Um, how do I start this? Um, when we last spoke, there was a foreign policy catastrophe. And since then, I, I don't know how this is possible. It's gotten worse. I feel as though well, I, I know how it's possible given, well, given who's running the country. Yeah. I, I want to, I just want to revisit this because it's not over. Um, it's not going to be over for a long time, regardless of when we actually pull up the, the flag. Um, there was a report out two days ago now that in our, uh, all, all I can say is what I'm about to say, you either are wholly incapable of existing at this level and should not be in charge of anything, including dog catcher, or you're, you're on purpose trying to destroy our country. We gave a list of names of all the American citizens, green card holders, Afghan citizens who worked with us to the Taliban so that they could let them through their cordon into the airport in Kabul. We gave them everybody they would need to round up later. We, we gave them a kill list. Yes. Now, I'd like to think that there's an actual adult somewhere in the executive branch, but I'm not seeing any adults acting here. I'm seeing complete and utter incompetence. Total. There is, there's not a competent bone in any of their bodies from what I'm seeing displayed here. And I, every day I say, well, it can't get worse. And every day they find a way to be worse at their jobs. They are all incompetent. That's well, uh, Chad, so here's the, the, the way that you can think about this is if you were intent upon making sure as an enemy of the United States that this withdrawal was the most humiliating, disastrous, catastrophic fiasco that it could possibly be. The question is, what would you do differently than the Biden administration? And I can't think of a single thing. So, we'll let, so, so again, let's remind everyone, we talked about this last week, but um, first of all, you decide to leave in this. You don't have to leave at all. Okay. So let, let's, Back up just very slightly. Again, as I said last time, this this debate is not about whether we should still be in Afghanistan. Um, if you think we should leave, if you think we should have left long ago, that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of people that think that. There's many people that think we should have left 19 years ago after we realized that al-Qaeda um, and Osama bin Laden had fled to Pakistan. There was no reason for us to be in the country. And that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But what we're talking about now is the decision and the manner in which we were leaving. So even if you want to credit the Biden administration with, I agree with Joe, it's about time. We need to get out. Okay, fine. Um, no, no, it's about how did you do this? And so first we decide we're leaving now in the middle of fighting season for the Taliban. We could have waited until the winter, uh, which would have they, – they, they tend to scatter. They go back to their, their tribal locations. They're just certainly not massed as a force in the same way. And then what we decided to do is, so we're leaving at the height 
of when the Taliban is probably the strongest. And the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to immediately abandon our military air base. We're going to just basically flee in the middle of the night. We're not going to tell the Afghan army that we're doing this. And we're going to then, by, by doing so, we're giving up not only all of that, I think the total amount of equipment that we have left there is somewhere in the range of $70 billion. And Chad, I actually didn't realize this, and I, I was looking today for something to quantify it, but we're, we're talking about tens of thousands of military vehicles, of I think hundreds of Black Hawk helicopters. It is incredible the amount. So, so we leave Bagram. Uh, for no for no reason, our best, most secure military base, which also provides air support and communications for the Afghan army, and we yank that rug out from under them. Hmm, surprisingly, uh, they they don't do well after that, and they they collapse. So we have no ability now to project air power. We have no ability to really communicate effectively with the Afghan army. We close Bagram. We retreat to Kabul, which has a civilian airstrip, and we start getting our troops out. By the way, we at that point have not made any plan on how we're going to get out the, I don't know, since the State Department apparently doesn't know, 10,000, 15,000 Americans, and of course all of the Afghan allies that have helped us for the last 20 years who are either on SIV status or whatever. We have no plan whatsoever. And then, as everything collapses in the space of, what, 72 hours after we had been assured, no, 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 that would take at least three months, it'll be fine, we surge troops back in because it's a complete debacle, but now, Chad, what we've created, because we don't have a separate defended airfield with air support, we've literally created a kill box for our own soldiers because they're they're ringed by the Taliban in Kabul. You have hundreds of thousands of Afghans panicked. We've seen the photos of them clinging to the planes. But the Taliban has ringed the city. They control all the entry points. And our military personnel are sitting ducks in the middle of what is essentially now the epicenter for world terrorism. You not only have elements, of course, of the Taliban, you have ISIS-K, you have Al-Qaeda, you have pretty much every bad actor in the world who are in possession of U.S. arms and equipment, who are feeling like they are indestructible because they just chased the great Satan out of Afghanistan in two or three days. And then to your point, the most insane part of this is we are actively relying on these seventh century barbarians and murderers to help us. Could you please help us? We're going to give you a list of names of all the people and you could just, if you could just shepherd them to the airport, Chad, as far as I'm concerned, that decision alone is treasonous. And I don't say that lightly, but mm -hmm. how, moronic again so occam's razor right <laughs> you find out that somebody has done that given a list of american citizens who by the way chad if you read anything that's actually going on over there they are hunting for these people door to door 
Okay. I have a friend, I won't say his name. He served there two tours. He was telling me today that he's getting communications from people who are trying to get out and they are telling him they are in hiding in houses as the Taliban are actively searching for them to murder them. Mm -hmm. And we went ahead and gave them a list just to make it so much easier for them to find these people. My default assumption is when your incompetence is that surreal, it's intentional. Now, of course, it is, they've admitted it's intentional because they've said, oh, well, no, they're, they're going to they're help us. They're our partners. When you do something that, that is that unfathom, unfathomable, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that you are, you're in the range of treason at this point in terms of how you've handled this. And to me, every single one of the people who has been involved in this go down the list. Every one of them should resign. Yes. Immediately. They yes. won't. Austin, Millie, Sullivan, Blinken, Biden, every single person that touched this should be gone. Of course, there's not going to be any accountability for them, and they're going to stay exactly where they are. Yeah. I want to play a clip from uh, Jen Psaki uh, that I think um, exemplifies the tone deafness of the administration. Their materials and equipment. Does the president have a sense that most of the criticism is not of leaving Afghanistan? It's the way that he has ordered it to happen by pulling the troops before getting these Americans who are now stranded. Does he have a sense of that? First of all, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. We are committed to bringing Americans who want to come home home. We are in touch with them via phone, via text, via email, via any way that we can possibly reach Americans to get them home if they want to return home. There are no Americans stranded is the White House's official position on what's happening in Afghanistan. I'm just calling you out for saying that we are stranding Americans in Afghanistan when I said when we have been very clear that we are not leaving Americans who want to return home. We are going to bring them home. And I think that's important for the American public to hear and understand. Okay, and then follow. So didn't Secretary of State say we might be leaving some Americans behind? It's almost a guarantee now that we're going to be leaving Americans behind because one of the other things that we didn't mention yet, we don't even know where they all are. We have closed down Kabul. We are not sending troops out, which is the only way you're going to get them, search Mm -hmm. and rescue. And they can't get to the airport because if they attempt to do that, they will be killed. Yep. So we are, we have already committed. This is not even speculation. Now right. we have committed to leaving and there is going to be an unknown number of Americans and our allies who were there who will be left. And then presumably we will engage in some sort of hostage negotiation with the Taliban as they're still hunting and killing these people and we'll never know it because it's not going to be on the news to try to somehow beg and plead our way into getting them back. But I wanted to point something out. So did you notice the the word games that Psaki is playing there? So she first says, and by the way, what kind of chutzpah does it take for her to play the irresponsibility card Mm -hmm. when she is the point person attempting to defend this unprecedented disaster. But did you notice what she did? So she first says, um, Peter, uh, it's irresponsible because uh, nobody is stranded because we are trying to get them out. Now, I'm not sure, Chad, how you define stranded, but that's like saying 
I'm not really stranded on this uh, Pacific Island a thousand miles from land because I am trying to make a helicopter out of driftwood. Well, (laughs) until that happens, you're stranded. But then did you see what else she did? She then changed the meaning of the word and said, you're implying that we are stranding people. Well, so she changed the meaning, which is you're trying to say we're not even attempting to get them out. No, nobody's saying you're not trying to get them out. What we are saying is that for the time being and for the foreseeable future, there are Americans who are stuck behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, and yet this administration and its spokespeople are so... Orwellian in their refusal to accept any responsibility. They can't even admit that. That's uh, so I'm sitting there listening to the, uh, and Blinken said since March, we've sent at least 19 times. We've tried to contact people in Afghanistan, American citizens in Afghanistan to tell them to get out. Okay. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Jen Psaki talks about doing the same thing email, phone, text. If you're hiding and you've been hiding for two weeks, do you still have power to that phone? Do you still have cell service with which to get your email, text, or phone call? Really? I I find that hard to believe at this point. You're in communication with these people anywhere they are. I, I doubt that. I mean, I could be wrong. There might be a well, superpower. So here's my question. My question about that, so of course, that's a good look. Let's just blame all the people that we've left there. But what I would have followed up and asked Blinken is, um, is the reason that you were telling them this is because you knew you were going to precipitously withdraw in a manner in which immediately created chaos and placed their lives at risk? Is that the reason that you were telling them to get out? I'd love to know what the answer is to that, because if the if the expected answer is, of course not. Well, then what was the what was the massive urgency? Now, I guess what they would say is because President Biden was committing committed to getting America out. But the reality is the only reason that they would have to leave and are now in this position is entirely because of the decisions that Joe Biden has made in how they have gone about this. Yeah, well, you notice I said March. Biden didn't announce our withdrawal until April. So that timing is very suspicious. I also know that two um, members of the House, Republicans in the member of the House, are planning to introduce articles of impeachment towards Blinken. We know that will go nowhere because the House is controlled by Nancy Pelosi and they will not do anything with it. But it's interesting that – and somebody asked him, why are you going after Blinken? Because he knew all this stuff. He's in charge of the State Department. He's in charge of security for – Uh, foreign personnel and he knew there was a concerns and he did not do anything with it well here's the here's the reality chad and isn't it i haven't looked this up but i vaguely remember um just to use a historical example and i'm not i'm not comparing these things however if you just want to talk about debacles didn't fdr in the wake of um the bombing at Pearl Harbor basically fire everyone in the chain of command that was responsible for that. Uh, I'll look it up. I don't know. Well, so the point here is there has to be accountability for this kind of thing. Okay. And 
There's none. There's no accountability for anything these days. And so I'm sorry, there may actually be people who were involved, who did their best to prevent this from happening. But nevertheless, when you are in those kind of positions, which cower, which carry that amount of authority, that amount of influence, you're responsible for people's lives, and something goes this cockamamie, almost unbelievably so, you're going to need to lose your job. That's just the way this works. And so there is simply no reason why Millie or Austin or any of these people are in the positions or remain in their positions after, again, this is going to go down and it's not over. Okay. It's not over. And I fear we have not seen the worst uh, of this, even though we now have 13 dead American soldiers and servicemen. But when you are in a position of authority and are responsible and it goes this badly, you need to be gone because how can anyone trust anything that these people are going to do going forward? It's impossible. Well, you, you couldn't. So you were right. Uh, Rear Admiral husband E Kimmel was relieved of his command of the U S Pacific fleet following Pearl Harbor. Uh, he wrote his autobiography in 1955 at which he claimed that uh, he believes FDR scapegoated him to make, to take blame off of himself because he suspects Roosevelt knew Pearl Harbor was going to be bombed. And that's why he had to be the scapegoat. There's well, no evidence. Again, my, my point. So he's sort of making my point, which is, I have no idea whether this guy was actually a scapegoat, meaning whether there's anything that he could have done. The reality is he's in a position when something like that happens, you've mm-hmm. got to go. Yep. It, yep. There, there has to be somebody in the chain of command that accepts responsibility. And the higher up you go, the larger disaster there is that falls under your purview, that's mm-hmm. going to fall at your desk. That's just the way it works. And that's the way it's always worked. If you recall, you probably know this, um, in the, the British Navy, back when, you know, mm-hmm. Hail Britannia and they had their empire, they actually executed either a captain or an admiral for making bad decisions. And I forget, I forget the name. You can look it up. I mean, you want to talk about, you want to talk about hardcore. If you don't perform, uh, there's, you're not getting fired. You're getting shot or you're so again, I'm not advocating for that, but my point is within a military culture, there is no way that you can have an effective military without having stringent accountability when things go this badly. And nobody's been held accountable. And in fact, what's even more maddening and infuriating is that you still hear from most of these people, including Joe Biden, oh, no, this, this is a success. I mean, hey, he's taking credit. Look at all these people we've airlifted out. Oh, well, that's great. You know, look at all the furniture we got out of the house after we set it on fire. Right. So <laughs> you're, you're spot on again. Admiral John Bing was executed in March, March 14th, 1757. He was court-martialed and executed for, during the Seven Day War, or Seven Years War, which was the or the um, French and Indian War to us. Uh, charged with failing to do his utmost. That's what he was boy, exe- failing boy, to do. His good utmost. grief! Can you imagine if that standard was applied to this clown car? Well, failing you, to do their utmost. Have they even done their? What's the opposite of utmost? Unmost. The bare minimum. So I don't know if you saw this. Um, a lieutenant colonel in the Marines put out a video on Facebook Thursday yes. afternoon, um, basically saying I, I demand accountability from my chain of command and my senior officers. 
and he was uh, relieved of duty and he's going to be discharged uh, the next day. I mean, he, he might, he might actually, we'll see. Um, I was reading a few things from people who are in the military. Many of them think he will, they will court martial him. They could, they certainly could. Um, we'll have to wait and see if that happens. Uh, and, and he said they did exactly what I would do in their position. I called them out and they have to make an example of me. Okay. But it, it does beg the question, why have we not seen any accountability? I mean, maybe that's to come in a normal situation. That would be to come. I, the, I do not. The entire, the entire general officer corps has been corrupted to the point where every one of these people needs to go. You've got guys like Austin and Millie who, instead of doing their jobs, which mm-hmm. is to essentially make sure that we are the premier fighting force in the world to provide the necessary support to our men and women who are risking their lives. They're gallivanting around talking about white rage and having CRT seminars. Mm-hmm. All of these people need to be flushed away. They have, and look, I don't, I've read that Millie in particular, um, actually was a very courageous and brave soldier. There are people that have said when he was in charge of leading men, he did a good job, but you know what? Something has happened. He's lost his way. He has become completely ineffective. He is marinated in this woke culture that is destroying our country. And it is also destroying our military. And this is one of the things that we now see this type of thinking occur, you know, causes when you've identified the most, um, our biggest enemies are white rage and domestic terrorism and the climate. Well, yeah. you've got a problem. And anyone who says that and identifies that uh, and is being serious, which they clearly are, well, you shouldn't be in that position. Get out of that job. Go, go teach at Columbia or whatever, <laughs> but you should not be in command of men who are being sent into harm's way. Well, and, and I, I take this Lieutenant Colonel at his face face None of you threw your um, your rank on the table and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to resign. Nobody. Now, if we go back to Trump's presidency, people resigned all the time. Oh, sure. Because they disagreed with him. And, and that's their privilege. Nobody has resigned to say, I believe you did the wrong thing. Now, we can say that Millie and Austin told uh, Biden, this is the wrong decision. This is wrong. But nobody resigned. Nobody. If, if they threatened to resign, we're not hearing about it. So I would say you probably didn't, and you just went along with it and said, okay, I, I mean, there's a, there's a report out that Millie was given the option of keeping Bagram, but with a reduced force, or defending the, uh, the, the, the embassy in Kabul, and ba- but basically the reduced force would not have been able to keep Bagram going, so he opted to go with that because that's what Biden offered him. I would have said, no, Mr. President. We're not going to abandon the, be- the best option we have for airlifting people out to go to a single runway. Now, I, wanna, I don't think people realize this. It's considered an international airport with a single runway. The local airport 30 minutes from me has two runways. They have one more runway than Kabul International Airport, where we're trying to get people out of a country. I also saw a report today, and it was from a Trump uh, staffer, uh, he said, if we go back and look at all the people in Afghanistan who had any contact or any influence with Western powers, we're looking at a million people. Minimum. You you don't airlift a million people out, and where do you put them? 
when you've you've gotten them out. I mean, other than the southern border, because yeah, well, that, I mean, that's impossible. We can't, and we can't even no. theoretically think about getting that many people out. Nor should we. Right. Um, I. I don't know. I don't know how and when this is going to end. But but again, and I I pray that I'm wrong. This is going to get. This is going to get worse. And we're look. We're on the run up to the anniversary mm-hmm. of nine eleven. If mm-hmm. you don't think that these guys are planning some massive operation to stick a finger in the eye, much more than a finger, to America, well. I'm sorry, then you don't really understand how they think. And here, here's the other point. You know, I, I've read a lot about, okay, so these guys are, yes, they're 10th century uh, brutal Islamic supremacists. And it's kind of like, who do they think they are? But what do you mean, who do they think they are? They <laughs> have, in reality, mm-hmm. from their perspective, just chased America and its mighty military out of Afghanistan in the space of a week. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we want to laugh at them, but from Why? again, what, what evidence do they have in real time that we can actually do anything to them? They don't, you realize that you probably know this. And I don't know if our listeners do the average age in Afghanistan is 18 years old. That's the average age. We have been there. Since October of 2001, that means that the average person has never known us not to be there. They've never known the Taliban because they weren't in power in their lifetimes. That's a scary thought. So I had, this, I had a discussion with somebody this week, and I heard some other people talking about it as well. If we go into a place as the United States, if we go into Afghanistan and we chase out the we chase out Al Qaeda. We recognize, as you said earlier, Osama bin Laden's gone over to somewhere else. He's not in Afghanistan. And we pull out at that point. Are we under any moral obligation to remain to build schools and build hospitals and 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 try to bring Western democracy to a place that really doesn't want Western democracy? Well, that but that's the key, Chad. What you just said is the key, which is and that's been sort of our delusion is that if we only show people our way of life, our political system, it's going to flourish. This is the whole nation building thing, right? And what we can't seem to get through our heads, and certainly there are people that would fall into that category, but what we don't seem ever willing to understand is that there are many millions of people who want to live under Sharia law. Yeah. They do. And they're called that's that's (laughs) inconceivable to us, but they don't really want our democracy and they don't want our now they probably would like some more of our luxuries and our standard of living sure. uh, but they reject that so i no i don't think we i don't think we had any obligation to stay now i i will say in terms of this debate about you know we had to leave uh, my my perspective right now is okay well we stayed this long and we had 2,500 troops there. And you know this. We have troops all over the world, right? So yep. we have troops basically in every continent of the globe. Europe, mm-hmm. Africa, Japan, you name it, we're there. We've been there for a long time. Many of those places, there's no ongoing fighting. We are simply there to provide stability and to actually as a disincentive. 
Mm-hmm. So we had maintained 2,500 troops in Afghanistan for quite some time now. I think I read today that um, 13 American soldiers were just killed. Mm-hmm. I believe in the last decade since we've been in Afghanistan, there had been nine combat deaths. So over the course of that decade, while we were there, as mm-hmm. Joe Biden describes as this endless war, we lost nine of our soldiers. And in one day, because of Joe Biden's idiocy, we've lost 13. So my, my question would be, and I'm not, I'm not wedded to this, is so one of the things that Joe Biden said in his rambling, you know, appearances on this, when he was explaining why we needed to leave, he said something along the lines of, we stayed initially because we didn't want Al Qaeda to reemerge. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what, Joe, in the space of a week, you have now guaranteed the Mm -hmm. reemergence of a strengthened Al Qaeda in essentially what is going to become the, um, like, the Waldorf Astoria for world terrorism. Mm-hmm. So what he's actually done, we are going to be forced in my view within the next year or two to go back in because of how destabilized and dangerous to us Afghanistan now is because Al Qaeda is there. What people need to understand, because you always hear this nonsense on the talking heads as well, you know, uh, they're, they're all fighting, right? They don't like each other. Well, here's, here's the point. You, they are correct insofar as when it comes to ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, these are all Sunni Muslims. Yes, when they are alone, they fight internally for power. But when it comes to the United States, they work together all day long because they have a common enemy. And that's what you see happening. In fact, the people that we were giving American names to were essentially part of what's called the Haqqani network, which is part of Al Qaeda. Okay. So they're working in conjunction with the Taliban. Now, when we're entirely gone and they control the entire country, which they already do, are they going to start fighting with each other? Probably, but Mm -hmm. it's not because they have a different overarching goal. They have the same overarching goal, which is jihad, to produce a global caliphate and they want to destroy America and all the infidels who will not agree to submit to Sharia law. That's just how it is. So the question that I would have is for the people that say we had to leave, we had to leave, we had to leave. Well, okay. Setting aside how Biden has done it, is it worth having a resurgent terror state in the middle of Afghanistan? Um, or to continue having 2,500 troops that we hadn't had a death in 18 months and we had nine in the last decade. At a minimum, I think that is a legitimate debate worth having. But I believe Biden is looking for optics. I think Jen Psaki was talking about optics. It's all about how we appear. It's what we look like. What we It doesn't matter what we do. It matters what we look like. And I truly believe he's trying to distract from COVID, he's, which he's ginned up anyway, uh, to some extent. He's trying to distract from the economy. He's trying to distract from the $3.5 trillion that Nancy Pelosi thinks was the greatest thing that's ever happened as suicide bombers are blowing up citizens. She's touting the $3.5 trillion 
plan that they've come up with. I really think this is the, this is the classic um, wag the dog scenario to me where we, everything we can possibly do to distract from the nightmare that we've created and somehow make it seem like, well, it's, it's the Afghan army's fault. It's the cowardly president of Afghanistan. It's the, uh, get this Anthony blink, Anthony Blinken as Kabul was falling, talked about, he has great relationship with the president of Afghanistan. He was just talking to him the day before had a good hour long conversation he said, yes, uh, President Karzai and I had a great conversation. Now, you're going to chuckle because you know the answer here. Karzai hasn't been the president of Afghanistan since 2014. So who were you talking to, Blinken? Were you talking to yourself? Did you just make it up? I mean, I, 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 I don't understand exactly how stupid these things are. So Biden says, to your point about al-Qaeda, on August 20th, al-Qaeda is gone. The Pentagon has a briefing right after that where they're asked, wait a minute, President Biden just said Al-Qaeda was gone. Well, he didn't mean to say that. He said they're no longer a, a fighting force, but that's not what he said. He said they're gone. And then General uh, Secretary Austin also says, no, no, Al-Qaeda is there. So who was lying to whom about what? And did Biden not pay attention? Did Biden not remember? Did Biden just lie, which is what I'm going to go with? Or are they all lying and we have no clue what's going on because we don't know what we're doing to my point of deep opening thoughts. Um, One thing I was saying, do you remember when Biden sat down with uh, good old Georgie Stephanopoulos and for his tongue bath, but George at least did ask him about, um, you know, kind of the, the people that were clinging to the plane had fallen off. And you remember what Biden said? Four or five days, man. That's four or five days. Yeah. And he he was he was incredibly annoyed. Mm-hmm. He's like, that was four or five days ago. Yeah. So th- this is a man who, I mean, we've talked about this. He's completely disconnected from reality. And even when you watch him speak as he's reading off his teleprompter, mm-hmm. I don't think he fully even understands what is going on right now. Well. I don't think his mind is processing things in any rational way. Um, and again, his, his affect and his reactions mm-hmm. are, are those of someone, because they're in cognitive decline, where they're sort of completely inappropriate right, to the, to the circumstance because right. he's, he's in a place where he can't control that anymore. You also remember when he made the joke, right, when, when, when I think it was an ABC reporter was asking about – I can't remember, but I mean it was either about you know, the military and, and Biden kind of like starts laughing and, and he's like, oh, you'll be the first to know. Yeah. Again, he, he's acting as someone and you see this with people that have uh, – dementia or advancing cognitive problems where he responds in ways that are completely bizarre because he can't even control that right. anymore. Right. Well, in his last press conference, um, he, he actually took questions and he actually read out, I, they've told me who I can call on by name. Yeah. Is that a, just think about that for a second. Think of all the other presidents you've ever seen in a press conference even if they're told behind the scenes, don't call on so-and-so, don't call on Peter Ducey, which he actually did call on, my favorite guy who it makes me laugh. Uh, he said, 
the the quiet part out loud, and he shouldn't have. But to, to your point, that does seem like somebody who doesn't really know what's going on and has to be handled differently than he should be. So, yeah, there's no question. To your point, there's no question that when presidents, any president, sits down with their advisors, they talk through. Sure. Okay. We want you to take, you're going to get a question from so-and-so, and then you should go to this. But to your point, they, they're, they're oriented, again, to time and place and aware of the fact that you don't say that. Right. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Do you remember the scene from, um, what's the movie, Bruce Almighty? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the movie, Bruce Almighty? You mean Liar, Liar. No, no, oh, Bruce Almighty, okay. where this is a movie, for those of you who haven't seen it, where Jim Carrey is given uh, the powers of, of God mm-hmm. uh, because he's complaining. And so Morgan Freeman, who plays God, because Morgan Freeman, Freeman always plays God, says, okay, why don't you see what it's like to be God? And, of course, initially what happens is Jim Carrey thinks this is fantastic and gives himself you know, a Lamborghini or something. But one of the things that he does is he has he's a, a network reporter – and Steve Carell plays his rival, mm. who is now in the anchor seat. And Jim Carrey shows up at the studio and changes what is coming across Steve Carell's teleprompter. Have you seen this, Chad? Yeah. yeah. And so, and so, even though to everyone else it appears like it's the normal news feed, yeah. S- Steve Carell is getting this complete nonsense, and he's reading it. Saying, you know, I can't even remember what it said, but it's just gibberish. And people are like, Steve, uh, like, read the copy. And so, but this is what you have with Biden, where you better be very careful what you write on a cue card or a teleprompter because he has no self editing. He's just going to blurt it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was actually done, I think, better in uh, Anchorman with Ron Burgundy when they did the same thing with the teleprompter on him. So that, that brings up a question. Let's move on here. I want to play a clip. Just let me play the clip and we'll talk about it. America is back. The highest inflation rate in the United States. The southern border is collapsing. The climb of COVID infections. We amplify our power. We summon the new strength. This is a recruitment Should ad. Should we be embarrassed? Diplomacy is back. Now the Taliban are back. Kabul is not in an imminent threat environment. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. They own the whole country now, the Taliban. The Taliban are now in complete control of Afghanistan. Complete chaos. How did President Biden get this so wrong? Well, first of all, the mission hasn't failed yet. If this isn't failure, what does failure look like exactly? Biden, you destroyed not Afghanistan, but the world! I don't care if you think I'm Satan reincarnated. Do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. China is ready for friendly relations with the Taliban. We have to ask the Taliban for permission for American citizens to leave. True or not true? They they are in control. I can't uh, think of anyone better to lead this operation than than. Uh, uh, oh, you're just chanting death to America. So that was a. Trump ad on Wednesday before the, the suicide bomber. Does it sound like Trump might be running in 2024 based on that? Maybe. Oh, well, I mean, I think, I think Trump is going to run. And I, I think that's kind of unfortunate, honestly. I agree. Um, 
I also think, as millions of Americans are now seeing, that uh, despite what you may think about Trump's character and his mean tweeting, we've gone over it. Would you really prefer to have Joe Biden right now? Really? Sure. When you look around. So, but um, that being said, uh, it's going to be interesting because I would much rather see somebody like DeSantis on the ticket. Uh, Trump has so much baggage and is so polarizing. Yeah. And it's just going to be, it's just too exhausting. Yeah. I agree. Uh, but I think that he, look, he has millions of people who are encouraging to run, who want him to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is a little bit of a cult of personality thing going on with certain people with Trump that I find a little disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I would, if, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and put Trump in the Oval Office right now, I would say, do that please in a millisecond. Right. Because Biden in seven months, uh, look around, look around at the country, at any metric, at any policy area, look at the border, look at the economy, okay? look at even COVID in terms of what's going on. And again, I'm not a big guy to blame. My perspective on COVID is that there's really a limit. There's really a limit to what government and government leaders can do, sure. both as it relates to Trump and Biden. But of course, the other side has played the game. Uh, you know, Trump is responsible for everyone dying or whatever. But in every single area, this is li- this is a disaster mm-hmm. on on multiple fronts. So I do think Trump is going to run, and my question would be: if he is running, does that scare away? Other people like a DeSantis who say, I'm not, I'm just not throwing my hat into that ring, right? I'm not getting in there with Donald Trump. And that could pose a real problem in terms of now, look, it's a primary. So I think the Republican Party would coalesce around, you know, whoever it is that obviously is the nominee. Um, but I just wonder that Trump sucks so much oxygen out of the room that if he decides I'm, I'm, I'm going to be back and look, here's the other thing. Trump's ego, what, he would relish nothing more. You know, you thought you were rid of me <laughs> and here I come again, right? I'm back. I never went anywhere. You guys stole the election and now I'm president again. You know, that scenario sure. is something that he salivates over every day. So I do think he's running again. So, let me just say this. Um, we haven't had a former president run for another term since Teddy Roosevelt did it in 1912 with the Bull Moose Party. And he, he tried to get the Republican nomination, did not beat out Howard Taft, his successor. Uh, and Woodrow Wilson ended up winning the presidency. And Woodrow Wilson, in my opinion, is one of the worst presidents we've ever had for many Agreed. reasons. Um, prior to that, only one other man has actually occupied the office on non-consecutive terms, which is Grover Cleveland. So – it's not unprecedented, but it's not – it's only happened once that it actually was successful, and it's only happened twice that they ever even ran again. Once they're out, they're out. Jimmy Carter never ran well, again. Think about this too, Chad, and I know you know that the Democratic uh, you know, power brokers are. Mm-hmm. Trump's looking at the landscape and saying, sure. who's going to be his opponent Okay. Uh, apparently Joe Biden is still under the delusion that at 82, he, he's going to somehow run again. That's never going to happen. I'm still not convinced Joe Biden can finish his term. Yeah. And so they're going to, are they going to put up Kamala Harris, a, a uniquely and exquisitely unlikable person who, who faded immediately out of the democratic primary yeah. 
they are scared to death of Kamala Harris, the Democrats I'm talking about, being the standard bearer. But here's the other thing. Given all of their woke rules, how can they jettison her? She's entitled to this, Chad. She's not only a woman, but she's has the intersectionality of being some kind of minority. She checks every box. If they push her aside for, let's say, Mayor Pete or who knows, <laughs> can you can you imagine the internal knife fight that, that would produce? So Trump is probably surveying this and saying. I'm either going to be running – I'm not going to be running against Joe. I'm going to be running against Kamala Harris. Yeah. Right? Probably. Um, so let's talk about that. So you you brought up you don't think Biden finishes out his term, and I don't disagree. But do we think it's because he dies? He gets impeached because the Republicans take that? Well, I don't – here's what I think. I think that his his mental and physical decline, people that have this – it doesn't stop. It's progressive. Mm -hmm. It's going to get to the point where they can't even continue to weekend at Bernie's this meaning he is going to, he's going to have a moment, let's say in a year where it's clear, you know, he's just going to have a catatonic fugue or something, or he's going to get to the point where they can't even bring him out in public. Essentially, he won't be able to take questions. He can barely read a teleprompter. They can only play this game for so long. Now they're going to try to play it as long as they can, but I just believe what I've seen of him in real time, his ongoing decline and the pace at which that is occurring I don't see him. I don't see him physically making it. I certainly hope he doesn't die. Nobody wants the man to die. I just don't think he's physically capable of finishing a full term. So, Ben Shapiro said this the other day. He said, even at his peak, whatever level you want to put Biden at. Wait, when was that, Chad? When was well, the peak? said even at his peak, whatever time frame that was prior to at any point in his life, he was still not getting on the court. He was still the guy in the stands because his mental capacity, even at his best, was not much. So we're expecting a 78-year-old man who has obvious dementia to be able, fit and ready to lead the country. And to your point, what we're seeing in seven months. Now, we know this job ages people. It, It ages them because of the stress and the constant battling it it can make you tired i mean we even saw that with obama he looked tired when he left he didn't look like eight years previous and it doesn't well you know ironically the person that it didn't seem to do it to is trump he looked the same he looked the same to me you agree i don't disagree with that but so my question was in 2023 if the republicans would take the house would they impeach him or does he not last that long biden i'm talking about or does he die in office, which hasn't happened since Kennedy, which was an assassination, or does he they use the 25th Amendment and remove him, knowing Kamala Harris is waiting in the wings at the cackler in chief might be ushered in? Because uh, to your point, if we're talking about her running in 2024, it would be an open primary. So they can say, yeah, you can run, but you're unlikable by every metric we've ever measured. You're not going to win the primary. So either save yourself the embarrassment or just say, "Ah, I'm just tired. I want to go do something else. Because if you give her two years plus in the presidency, she makes a stronger case for being the incumbent 
uh, going into the election. Now that didn't work for Ford, but that was a different situation. Well, if you, you, it only makes a stronger case depending on what she does in her two years in the presidency. And I'm pretty convinced that you give her two years in the presidency, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be a disaster. The difference between her and Biden is only this, because let, let's be honest, uh, as you said, Joe Biden has never been anyone's idea of someone who was really all that smart. And Kamala Harris, if you listen to her and watch her, is not all that smart. Joe Biden at this stage is somebody who is is taking instructions from other people. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is an ideologue. So so she's sort of an even worse combination in many ways because she's she doesn't know what she doesn't know about her, let's just say, cognitive limitations that are unrelated to dementia and yet she is going to drive you know the left-wing agenda Mm -hmm. full bore so i think kamala harris finishing out two years it's an equal disaster here's my question for you chad Mm -hmm. if you take biden and harris out of the running who is who is on the bench now i know mayor pete has designs on on the white house and i will say this he is probably the the most articulate. When you listen to him talk, he comes across as a guy. He's he's soft spoken. He's reasonable. He's articulate. Now his his policies are equally radical, mm-hmm. even though he tries to hide that as oh, I was a mayor of a small town and whatever. But who who else is out there, Chad, that they're going to be able to run? Well, see, I, I think. Mayor Pete in the seven months of the Biden administration has been a non-entity. Do you even, I mean, secretary of transportation, I haven't heard from him. I don't, he's disappeared off the map. He's been basically pigeonholed to sit back over here on the shelf. His highest elected office was mayor of Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's it. So yes, you were secretary of transportation, but you didn't get elected to it. You were just appointed. And you haven't done anything. Think, so think about, you know, normally presidents come, uh, historically come out of the Senate, come out of governorships. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, good old Emmy winning Andrew Cuomo has self immolated. Right. Uh, so, so he's really not, he's, he's damaged goods. And I think he would have been a guy yeah, yeah. that they would have, we don't know, but you're right. No. You're right. I mean, he may be able, they may be able to miraculously rehabilitate him. But he is, uh, he's in his mid 60s now. So it's not like he's a young either. But go, so my point is so go through some of the other most, let's say, nationally recognizable Democratic governors. They're all toxic. Gretchen Whitmer, incredibly disliked, right? You go down the list. Uh, There's, there's nobody. You know, Gavin Newsom, he may not even be governor in two weeks. That was my thought. Newsom, if he doesn't get recalled, then there's a it's a split decision whether that's going to happen in the next week and a half. He oh, get, they'll fraud their they will fraud him across the finish. Well, line. They probably will, but let's say he retains his governorship. Is he not now governor of the most populous state in the country? Does he or second maybe I don't know what Texas might be higher? Does he does he not get up to the list if he wants? I mean I don't know if he well, does. He he potentially is on the list. the The problem they have is the same problem of with, that they had with Bernie, even though Biden is governing as a complete left winger. But remember, they were at least able to dupe people into thinking, "Oh, Biden's a moderate." You can't do that with Gavin Newsom. So they're going to have to elevate a guy who is possibly, you know, the most 
it, it, there's there's so many people that are the candidates for the most left wing, but he's right there. So I don't think they can run him because any sort of independent, moderate, whatever, they're going to look, you're right. He is the governor of the most populous state. He's the governor of the most progressive state in the country, and he has governed it into fiscal disaster. So I, I just don't really know who makes sense for them that they can run. Well, you brought up Biden again. We bring up Biden here. Biden on foreign policy has been wrong every time throughout his career. Yet we were told by the media, because remember, don't forget the media can, can you know, of course. any candidate, if they say it enough times, the lemmings out there will believe you because they said enough times. Biden was a deep thinker, uh, great foreign policy, because he'd been to Afghanistan four times in his he was years. he was statesmanlike, Chad. So we were going to restore. Our friend went on and on sure. about how we've restored respect to the Oval Office. Yeah, there's a lot of respect being thrown around out there after this debacle. My point is, it doesn't matter who the candidate is. The mainstream media will make them seem like they are the best thing you've ever heard of, and they will downplay and get no publication. And please don't forget Facebook, Twitter, Google. They will, they will go out of their way to take away the information that might make that candidate look bad. Hunter Biden's laptop. No, nope, fake news. You can stole it. It can't use it. No, wait, it's his. And he had two more stolen, and the Russians have them. And, yeah, so all that information is out there, but we're never told about it. So if you're never told about it, yep. mainstream, mainstream media will do that for you. And we know that most of the electorate, is clueless right up until they pull the lever. They really don't know what they're talking about and they'll pull the lever because they've heard good things. This is a great guy. He loves his family. He loves his dog. I mean, look at Cuomo. He left his dog at the governor's mansion. Somebody better take that. Cause I don't need it anymore. Cause I don't need a prop. Well, you make actually make a very good, you make a very good point. Uh, our, our disgraceful media is, is probably the single most significant factor because they completely, uh, I mean, th- their propaganda campaign uh, is, in a way, I, I think we mentioned this a while ago. There's a, I think there's a professor from UCLA. His name is Tim Grossclothes, uh, and he actually did uh, sort of an empirical study about wh- how much the media and its coverage of candidates tilts mm-hmm. a general election. Now, of course, there's some inherent subjectivity there, but his con- and this guy is not a conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, his conclusion was that the media's monolithic sort of leftism, progressivism, whatever, accounts for 15%. Now, so you make an excellent point. I I was going to say, how many people doing a Jay Leno man on the street question (laughs) could, if if, if he went to, let's say, 100 people in random cities and said, who is Gavin Newsom? What would what do you guess would be the number of people who could identify who he is? I say it's under 10. Out of 100? Yes. If he doesn't, well, see, if he does it in California, I'd say. No, no, we're not going to do it in California. We're going to go on any other state in the country, and you're going to just sidewalk Three. 100 people. I think it's under 10. Three. I really don't. Yeah. I, I think... There, as you said, I think the Democratic machine in California is going to do everything they can because the white supremacist is leading on the Republican side, uh, Larry Elder. 
the African-American white supremacist. I like that face of white supremacy. That was an actual headline. You've been warned. Now I'm not sure how a black man can be the face of white supremacy. I'm waiting for the details about how that's possible. And nobody seems to be able to give me the details, but the headline was in huge capital letters. So if Larry Elder perchance would win the governorship of California, a la Arnold Schwarzenegger when Gray Out Davis was booted. Does that change any calculus? Because that, that changes Newsom's trajectory, not impossibly, but it does change his trajectory a little bit. Oh, he's done. If if, if he is if he is recalled, no, he's done. There, there, there is no way well, within the Democratic Party that he recovers from that. It's me, over. And, and I don't I like Larry Elder. I don't know if Larry Elder is going to be more effective in California the way it's set up right. Oh no, he he will be comp- listen, I like Larry Elder too. He'll fight the good fight. The, the Democratic Party machine is so entrenched there. Uh, the best that he can do is in terms of his ability to appoint people mm-hmm. and basically gum up the works using his veto power okay. to pre- to prevent further disaster. That's it. I, I don't disagree. So who is the candidate? I don't know. And here's the thing. We've got three years before two years, probably until we start to see these people bubble up. I don't know, but the scary part to me is you got Biden, you got Harris. Should both of them be removed from the equation? You've got Nancy Pelosi Ugh. and then Patrick Leahy. Yeah, I know. Talk I, about I mean, a murderers, a parade of horribles. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it's not like if you get rid of one, you get something an upgrade of, of any, I mean, you might get somebody, I mean, maybe Harris is cognitively an upgrade over Biden, but Pelosi certainly isn't. Uh, Patrick, no. he more than likely not. Uh, you, you, you have a lot of chaff in the wind there that, that really is not, if I'm a foreign power, if I'm China or I'm Russia, I look at that. I look at Joe Biden and I watch the same press conferences you do. What Chad? What's the timetable for when China ramps things up in Taiwan? Um, the day after we leave Afghanistan. I was I'll having a conversation. <laughs> I was having a conversation with a friend about this the other day, and I said, "If China cracked down and did, you know, uh, Tiananmen Square style uh, tanks rolling through the streets in Taiwan." Mm-hmm. Do you think this administration would do a single thing? And my answer is no. I don't think they would lift a finger. We'd send a strongly worded memo to the Chinese ambassador. That's that's the extent of what we do. And I don't want to hear about Biden hit the ISIS K HR guy who was planning another attack. Baloney. You want to solve that? What what a devastating blow. If this man had any guts and any fortitude, he would send the 82nd Airborne and the 101st Airborne back into Afghanistan, and they would rout these cavemen. He won't do that, but that's what I said to my wife the other night. I said, take away all the, the death and suffering that's coming, because it is. These American citizens, and I don't know if anybody, you know this, Tony, but I don't know if everybody listening. As an American citizen, if you live in a foreign country, the U.S. government expects you to pay taxes on whatever you earn in that foreign country back to the u.s there's a tacit agreement that you're still a u.s citizen we still you're still part of us now isn't that agreement that you'll protect me because i'm 
part of you. I give my income to you as part of that protection plan. Isn't that the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? But that doesn't seem to be the case. So if you're not holding up your end of the bargain, why does anybody have to hold up their end of the bargain? If you can't do this, the right thing, why do, why do I have to? So if I'm living in France, do I got to send you money? Because you obviously don't care about me. If something happened in France, you're not going to come and get me. You, you've shown that. So I, I don't want to put, put more military in harm's way. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I think if you ask the military people, and you talked about this last time, they got into the military to defend us. That's why they're there. And you put these restrictions on them and you say, I want you to watch that gate and let anybody in who holds up an American passport. But, you know, you really don't have any way to do anything. Don't shoot anybody. Don't start any right. fights. Yeah, well, you're surrounded by thousands of ter- terrorized, panicked uh, Afghanis who are targets you can't possibly even open fire if you wanted to. And like you said, you're now standing in front of a gate mm-hmm. where suicide bombers are going to immediately. I mean, you want to talk again, fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. That's what they created. Mm-hmm. And if, and again, I cannot imagine or fathom not only the, the grief of any of these families uh, because they've lost a child, mm-hmm. but the manner in which this happened for no reason, mm-hmm. I don't. I would lose my mind. I, it's it again. I think we we talked about this. I think as a parent of anyone who is enlisted in our armed forces, the reality is that you understand uh, that your son or your daughter um, is potentially going to be in a situation where they could be killed. Yeah. That is that is the nature of what the military does. And so as difficult as that is, I think there's an acknowledgement, certainly among, you know, kind of military families down through the generations that yes, this is, this is part of uh, what we do. But the one thing that you, you never want and which would be beyond enraging is to realize that your child is dead and he's dead not because he was he was in the middle of, of combat and was killed, but because his own government, through its incompetence, placed him in a situation where he was, number one, really unable to defend himself mm-hmm. in any meaningful way, and essentially set him up to be killed, again, that for something that never even had to happen. This isn't a, you know what, We've got to send a crew. We're, we're going on the offensive against an enemy. We are in enemy territory. There is likely to be hostilities. Guess what? They understand that drill. Mm-hmm. They don't understand making their son stand outside a gate where you've created, as I said, a kill box for terrorists to target them with rules of engagement that are impossible. That's not something that they can comprehend, no. nor should they. No, they, they should not. And um, I, I just don't. Uh, I don't know where where we go as a country. No, I I was I was young when Saigon fell, so I can't tell you what the mood of the country was at that point. And maybe it was very similar, although that was two years post the end of that war. Officially, um, this is self inflicted. And I, and Biden made a comment. Now I I want to say this. He made a comment that this was nothing going to be anything like Saigon because six divisions breached the embassy gates in Saigon. 
that may be the that may have been true after everybody was gone from the embassy. So yeah. I'm not really sure that it matters if it was 12 divisions or a thousand divisions because we were already gone. So that has nothing to do with this. Yet he equated it as though they were they were equal, and that's why we had to bug out. I don't I don't know where we go as a country because we we've lost. If we had friends, would are we the kind of friends you want to have? No, certainly not with this administration. How can you? How can you possibly? And, and this is, you know, this is being discussed. Uh, you know, Britain they they are furious. All of our NATO allies are furious. Even though Joe Biden's, oh, I'm not aware of anyone being upset with me. Yeah. Um, and and the, and of course, the country that really has to be pondering what it's going to do uh, is Israel. Yeah. Because not only is Iran within who knows exactly six months of having a bomb, but now they also know they're dealing with, again, a resurgent collective terror state in Afghanistan, which can project who knows what kind of terror threat across the border. And we they know they have not... So when when Obama was in office, they knew they had an American government which was hostile to their interests. Uh, Now they have a government which is hostile to them and also galactically incompetent to the point of basically endangering not only America but Israel's interests. I think – and Israel is always contemplating this. I think there's a lot of discussion. You're going to see Israel hit Iran probably within the next three or four months. They're going to do something because they have to. I I, I don't – I don't know where we go from here, Chad. It's um, well, I want to throw another fly in the ointment here. Um, most people don't recognize we're folks on Afghanistan right across the border is Pakistan, which is who happens to have a nuclear weapon. That's my key. So their, their ISI is heavily militant Islamic. Uh, I would not be shocked if there's a bending of the knee to the Taliban in Afghanistan and then you've got a government in Pakistan, Islamabad, who, as you said, has a nuclear weapon. What We've never dealt with that. I mean, maybe Iran in six months or a year. We've never had to deal with a, super, of a, of a, of a country that hates us in that same way. The Russians hated us, but they had a grudging respect. They didn't like us. We didn't like them. But we had mutual assured destruction. Well, the other the other point though is, and I think it's a key point, the the Russian government was not an Islamic theocracy. Correct. So yes, communism was horrific, has killed more people uh, in, in history than than any other ideology, but they were making for themselves and their interests rational decisions mm-hmm. about global politics about uh you know how they were going to go about challenging the united states that's the cold war uh there is not going to be a cold war with a country that is controlled by islamic supremacists who believe that they are called by muhammad Mm -hmm. to wage jihad against all the infidels that is a completely different thing which this administration and the Obama administration can't quite seem to wrap their minds around because they somehow think witness cooperating with the Taliban that in fact I hate that I said Taliban the tal, tal what how does Biden say Taliban Taliban 
that that they're they're going to somehow bring them into the uh, the community of nations. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to. So it, it, you're right. This that would be a completely different and frankly terrifying prospect in terms of what do you do then? Well, I think it it certainly puts Israel at a different level of threat. Um, I don't know that. I don't know what the delivery capabilities are of the Pakistani nuclear weapons. I, I don't. Well, and that's and that is key because it's not just having the weapon; it's having the ability to deliver it. But look, um, there's people out there that can figure that stuff out. That's uh, called Iran. I'm pretty sure Iran has missile technology, whether or not they have the nuclear. I mean, it, it just we have made our national security more in jeopardy by the way all of this was handled. Uh, infinitely more jeopardy to national security interests than we did uh, six months ago. So this is what, this is what 81 million people voted for. I don't believe for a second that 81 million people knowingly cast a ballot for this person. I think, I believe there was some malfeasance in there. I don't have any proof. I can't, I can't give you chapter and verse. I just find it hard to believe that 81 million people voted for this person. I don't care how much you hated the mean tweeter and bad orange man. I, I, I'm sorry. Everything about this man that you were told was a lie because that's what the media wanted you to believe. The truth of this person is on display for you right now. Complete. And you know what? Most of the people, particularly the never Trumpers who, who actually became never Republicans, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about people like Bill Crystal, Jonah Goldberg, David French, uh, then the true lunatics like you know Jennifer Rubin, who might be the craziest person in captivity, Max Boot. You go down the list, right? Yeah. They became not only objectively opposed to Trump, which I, I have no problem with that. They became objectively in favor of Biden and the Democrats. Yeah. And so – I would, you know, they've been, of course, strangely silent about all of this. Um, Jen Rubin hasn't. She's well, been. Well, well, well of course, because, again, she is possibly the craziest person in the world other than maybe Keith Olbermann. Sure. Um, what do these? What do they have to say now? So you, what you were saying is, oh, you've been lied to. They couldn't be lied to because they knew. Right. They knew exactly who Joe Biden was. They, they're not the man on the street. Who, they knew exactly who he was. They understood his physical condition. They understood what he represented in terms of policy. And yet they still eagerly said, that's the guy we want yep. on the levers of power. Yep. So they, should, they are even more contemptible because they – and certainly accountable – for now what is happening. You knew, but you hated Trump so much yep. that you thought this was going to somehow, you deluded yourself into thinking this was going to work out. When in fact, if you had been at any remove <laughs> from this and actually evaluating it, not as some, I, I don't even know, some kind of hysterical partisan who just can't see past the bad orange man, you would have realized that this is a complete disaster in the making. And yep. in seven months, look what Joe Biden has done. In seven months. He has fundamentally transformed America and not for the better. That's If he don't maintain the status quo, okay, not so bad. He has fundamentally transformed America in the bad way. It, it, there's no, there's no, no objective measurement of anything he's done. I don't care which metric you look at. 
We are not better off today than we were on January 20th. We are much worse off than we were on January 20th. So you can say what you want about Trump. You can dislike Trump. You can never vote for, you can, you can hate him, but you voted for Biden or you propped up Biden and you knew what you're getting into. So the same people who came in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, 2019 and 2020 saying you couldn't possibly vote for this man. You would be a horrible witness. Guess what? You voted for Biden. Now I'm not going to paint you with the same brush because I don't play that game, but you have to ask yourself, what did I vote for? 81 million people supposedly voted for this man. What did I vote for? Did I get what I thought I was getting? And we never do. We never get what we think we're getting, but did we get a far worse? They, they will. Thought? They will never. They will never um, allow themselves to accept the fact that they made a disastrous error. In fact, our friend watching the whatever the first or second. I think probably the first speech, if you want to call it that. He was reading off a teleprompter that Biden gave. Which in which he told about five <laughs> flabbergasting lies. Our friend's reaction to that speech was that oh, it was also completely incoherent. Um, was that it was presidential? Yeah, we talked about yep, this. We- so when you are that far gone into your own just confirmation bias. Mm-hmm then you really have no you have no ability to to evaluate any of this in a way where you would accept responsibility and say and again within his framework that's what you need to do right because your political choices are guilt by association mm-hmm. and so therefore anything bad that happens in the country well his his framework is if you voted for Trump, you're responsible for people dying of COVID. If you voted for Trump, you're responsible for bigotry and you're, and, and every other, every other alleged, mm-hmm. you know, degradation that they lay at his feet. They're never going to turn that prism on themselves because, okay, so what are you responsible for now that Joe Biden has in historically inept way, caused what's going on in Afghanistan, overseen the the complete breakdown of our border. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, they're, they're not going to accept any responsibility for that because that analysis doesn't apply to them. It only applies to people that disagree with their political choices. And I, and I don't, I don't want to get into anybody who voted for Biden saying you're responsible for what Biden does. I'm no more responsible for what Trump did than you are for what Biden does. So I don't... I know what you're saying, and we—if you voted for Trump, you were painted with that brush, especially by Dr. Fia. But I don't paint him with the brush of what Biden did because Biden's responsible for his own actions. So, to me, yes, I voted for a candidate. That candidate didn't live up to the expectations I might have had for that candidate. But I'm not responsible for any decisions they make. You know, I'm not a white supremacist because I voted for Trump. I didn't want children in cages because the border is a mess. I didn't want people to die in Sudan or Syria or Afghanistan because I voted for Trump. No more so than I think Dr. Fee is responsible for what's happening in Afghanistan. He voted for a candidate who was a flawed human being, but we knew he was flawed. You shouldn't have voted for him. Now, you can say, I wasn't going to vote for Trump. Okay, then don't vote for either. Voting for Biden was not that wrong. What you should be able to do is have the intellectual honesty to say that all of the things that I expected and hoped for from this candidate have clearly not occurred. Correct. And 
yes, I was mistaken in what I believed because I somehow thought this person was a moderate. I somehow thought this person was going to be a statesman. I thought he was going to bring respect to the Oval Office, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things are objectively not true. Well, we, we can say that with certainty, yeah. having watched the first seven months of this presidency unfold. But you will not see any level of um, self-examination or accountability in terms of, yeah, I misread who it was that I was voting for. That That's never going to occur. No, and I, I want to say, I, I try not to read Dr. Fia that much anymore because he really bothers me. Uh, and, it, and my wife has me, why do you read it? I said, I, I don't know. It, it seems like fodder for the show, but he just really bothers me. When the, terror, the, the suicide bomber came through on Thursday, he put out the, you know, I'm very sorry for the loss. I feel awful, you know. And then he starts talking about the blame game. And he says there's lots of blame to go around and Biden, and he puts in parentheses, short term. And there's lots of blame to go around. And I thought, are, are you going to try to blame Trump for this because Trump signed his Of course he is. Short term for Biden? Short term? Are you serious? I, I I question why you would say that when it was Biden's decisions that are, were seen played out here. This wasn't Trump's decisions. This wasn't Obama's decisions. This wasn't Bush's decisions. It was Bush's decisions to go in, and it was Obama's and Trump's to stay there, but it wasn't their decision to do this. Like Peter Ducey said to Jen Psaki, this is, we're not complaining that you're leaving. We're complaining about how you're doing it. So he's 100%, 100% responsible for how we are leaving, not that we are leaving. And I think that's where the two get conflated sometimes. And when there's a blame to go around, what I see from Dr. Fia is, well, I got to make sure I put it back on Trump. And somehow I got to get this back on Trump because I got to sell more books and I got to talk about Trump. But you know what? At some point, be intellectually honest and say, Biden screwed this up. He, he wasn't Obama's quote, don't uh, discount the fact that Biden can F anything up or something. To that yeah, no, that was that was Robert Gates, who is Obama's secretary of defense. So all this being said, you you can't say Biden shouldn't. There shouldn't be any long term ramifications to Biden. And you know, it's a short term. He, he's only been president for seven months. I said this to my wife and I said, I, I'm very clear on this. Every president inherits good and bad from the previous administration or administrations. OK, we don't get. Rosie Glory, it doesn't start, there's not a reset on the day you take office. You get what it is. Reagan took office with hostages in Iran. They got freed probably because of Reagan versus Carter. But you inherit those things. So it's what you do with that um, responsibility. And I think resp- taking responsibility for your actions shows leadership. Blaming everybody else does not show leadership. I don't care what you tell me. Leadership is not passing the buck. As, as I'm saying, the buck stops. Well, and that's, that's fascinating you use that term because one of the things that Biden said in his first speech, mm-hmm. uh, which was completely meaningless, pabulum, was uh, the buck stops with me. And then proceeded mm-hmm. to blame every other person other than himself. So that statement was utterly meaningless he doesn't believe the buck stops with him oh the buck stops with the pentagon the buck of course stops with trump oh the the buck stops with the afghan military who just didn't do what we expected of them 
And yet our friend, Dr. Fia's reaction was, I was pleased to see the president took responsibility. No, no. He mouthed a bunch of words that he then completely contradicted in the space of the same speech. And yet somehow you managed to fixate on those words and say, oh, well, he said the right words. Those are the right words to say. When all of his actions and everything he said thereafter showed he's not accepting an iota of responsibility. And he even said this has been essentially successful. Yes. Our, our, our mission. And what is the mission, Chad? What mission is it he's talking about? Oh, the mission to surrender chaotically and disastrously and yank ourselves out of the country while leaving American citizens there to fend for themselves. Is that the mission that we're talking about right now? Uh, probably. That's that's his mission. I just I, I just want to be clear. Responsibility is responsibility. Taking act, taking responsibility. We will all screw up. I guarantee before I go to bed tonight, I will have screwed up something before I go, go to bed. You've already screwed up this show. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but taking responsibility for that is leadership. Not taking responsibility is not leadership. I don't care what words you mouth. If you do not take responsibility with your actions and your words, you are not showing leadership, period. There is no wiggle room on that. Not, not from me anyway. I mean, Carter was an ineffectual, feckless president. He kind of took responsibility for the rescue attempt that killed a bunch of uh, army rangers trying to get our hostages out because it was a horrible plan designed by a three-year-old and executed poorly in every capacity. But at least he tried, so I can give him partial credit for that. Obama, or, uh, Biden's not even trying. He's not even trying. He's making no... This artificial deadline of August 31st that we've now been wedded to because the Taliban says, well, you're going to have to get out. Well, I'm sorry, we don't have all our people out. So no, we're not leaving. Now, what does that mean? Do we put those remaining Afghans and Americans and and uh, soldiers at harm's risk or, or in harm's way? Yeah, I guess we do. But on the world stage, we're we're kowtowing to these barbarians. We're kowtowing to them, letting them tell us what to do. That doesn't China and Russia. That doesn't bode well. That does not bode well for our future. That's all. We weak horse, strong horse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and our, our supposed allies of which there are maybe Britain, maybe, although they held president Biden in contempt, which, you know, Trump was impeached. Well, Joe but, didn't, Joe didn't hear about that. Yeah. He didn't hear about that poll. Number. It wasn't, it wasn't on his cue cards. He, he wasn't aware of CBS that. poll says that only 49% of the population thinks the, the, the electorate in the United States thinks he's competent to be in office. Think about that. Competent. I don't know. So this is not necessarily about Afghanistan. This is total competence to be in office. He's less than 50% of the population thinks he is competent to be in office. I mean, I don't know how anyone who's watched him, how that number couldn't be uh, zero. A lot lower, but, but <laughs> agreed. <laughs> so we've gone really long tonight. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, no. I think, uh, you know, unfortunately right now, events are are just going to be what they're going to be. But I think uh, maybe we'll try next time to have uh, just kind of a show with a little bit more uh, levity. Sure. Just try to 
try to get off some of this because it's frankly, it's, uh, it's incredibly depressing. Um, the the condition that we're in right now. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll just change it up with all of our uh, favorite rants about driving and restaurants. Well, and there might be some football discussion because, you know, we're coming up on the NFL season and I think the Steelers are going to stink. So you can give that a break. Yeah, that. Uh, yes, because that's when we usually disagree too. So that'll make my wife happy. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.